This podcast is brought to you by Prime Sport, official travel partner of the Seahawks. I take it in, but don't look down. I'm on top of the world. Hey. everybody. Welcome back to the Hawk Blogger podcast. This is Brian Nemhauser, aka Hawk Blogger, hawkblogger.com online, slash Hawk Blogger on Twitter, and, or at Hawk Blogger on Twitter, and slash Hawk Blogger on Facebook. Been a while since it's just been a solo podcast. I've been looking forward to doing one of these for a while, and just so happens that Softy is uh, very occupied today with uh, what we hope is going to be a Huskies Pac-12 championship. Um, hope everyone's going to tune in tonight. Should be a really interesting game. Colorado with a great defense. Uh, the Huskies with a great all-around team. Really enjoyed watching the Huskies this season. They've been my childhood team, even though I grew up in Portland. Uh, it was not a popular choice down there to be a Huskies fan surrounded by a lot of ducks. But uh, I loved I loved the teams John James assembled. I loved the power of their offensive line. I loved... However, there, there was a defensive line, offensive line built team. They always were. Um, they always had a, a, a quarterback that was um, efficient and resourceful. You know, I was a huge Mark Brunel fan. I loved watching him play. Um, I even was a big Brock Heward fan. I loved everything about I thought he was going to be a great NFL quarterback. Um, and watching guys like Dana Hall and Napoleon Kaufman was, was my favorite player on those teams growing up and just watching his raw speed come around the corner and it was just great. They had a, a great college team built on power and running. And uh, I wish the playoff system would have been alive back in the day because this would not be the Huskies' first chance to win an outright national championship. That was the best team in the nation that year. I was sure of it. And I would have loved to see them take on Miami and anyone else who wanted to step to the table. Um, but yeah, tonight, hopefully we get to see Jake Browning, who... I think it's still underrated. You know, I, I kind of am surprised how people are comparing him to Chris Peterson's old quarterback um, at Boise State, Kellen Moore. I understand from, you know, he's not the biggest guy in the world. He's not got, uh, he doesn't have a rocket arm. But Kellen Moore was just very clearly a, you know, kind of systemy quarterback with um, a really weak arm um, who fluttered the ball into a lot of places. Browning's got a decent arm. I think he's got an NFL arm. I think Browning will be an NFL starter. Um, I think Browning's going to be a good NFL quarterback. And I'm maybe in the minority in that point of view, but uh, I think this guy's got a lot to offer. And, and uh, I think some teams can be very happy to get him um, and would be wise to take him early uh, in the draft. And then definitely John Ross. I mean, that guy is <laughs> so fun to watch. Maybe my favorite player in all of football right now to, to watch play um, any level. I mean, he just, he plays, he reminds me a little bit of um, Deshaun Jackson in the NFL and in, in that he's got this top end speed that just seems to jump off the field. But he also reminds me a little bit of Reggie Bush in, in college and, and in high school where he just seemed like he was at a different level than the players around him and kind of was playing Nintendo football um, while everyone else was playing football. <laughs> and uh, watching him um, just make 
players look really foolish week in week out is it's it's uh it's fun to watch and uh easy to take for granted those those type of players do not come around very often um yeah so we'll see how they play tonight i, I certainly am um, got my fingers crossed for a, a win and and i expect the huskies are going to do that and then uh, let's just make sure that the the playoff committee doesn't do anything stupid um and, and gets the huskies into the the national championship playoff um doesn't seem like a matchup against Alabama will be a very competitive game, but um, uh, just based on how the Huskies kind of shrunk against a physical USC team. But um, let's see. Let's see. It'll be fun to watch. Um, I'm all for it. So enough about the Huskies. Um, let's talk a little bit about the, the Seahawks game this past week. And um, obviously, it, <laughs> man, <laughs> it was agonizing. Um it was, uh, I think it was bad luck. It was the game I watched on my own for the first time this year. My, my son went over to a friend's house. My, my buddy was watching, you know, uh, somewhere else. Uh, I was just kind of enjoying being in my, being in my pajamas and sitting under a blanket and, and, uh, watching football all day. And, um, it's really rare to have those East coast one o'clock starts, um, one o'clock Pacific starts. And it definitely felt a little odd to, to kind of wait around for, for that game. And, and, uh, just watching that team. I mean, I'd been concerned about that game heading into the, through that, throughout the week. I think that it was a really tough combination of factors. Number one being the amount of injuries that by far was the biggest factor. And then to, um, just a chance where the Seahawks were going to be you know, looking at this game in a much different way than the the Bucks were going to be looking at this game, and the Bucks offense. You know, what I thought would happen if it was going to go the wrong way is that the Bucks offense would get the jump on the Seahawks defense, and the Seahawks offense just might not be able to keep up. That that was my that was my concern. Um, I did not expect uh, you know the Seahawks offense to be held. <laughs> to five points and to be sacked six times four times in the first half which tied their season high for a game in the year up to that point um the offensive line was an unmitigated disaster I mean it was I think the folks that have followed me know that um I I'm not a huge fan of of people who just pile on the offensive line and and basically lay the problems of the offense at their feet at every step of the way. There's another group of people that do that about Russell Wilson, that every problem that the offense has is Russell Wilson's fault. I mean, it's just not. I mean, it's always a combination and, you know, societally, not not to get on a soapbox, but everyone likes it to be very black and white and right and wrong, and it's just not. It's complicated, and it takes a little bit more um, thought to to really figure out what's going on there. And in most cases, it's a combination. The offensive line, you know, maybe struggles on a certain um, series or a certain type of play. Um, maybe the the tight end misses a block, but you think it's the offensive line. Maybe it's the running back who misses a check that he's supposed to be there to pick up a blitzer that he's supposed to pick up. Maybe it's a receiver that runs the wrong route and Russell has to hold on to the ball a second longer than he's supposed to. You know, maybe it's a receiver that can't get open, and so Russell has to hold the ball longer, or Russell's holding on to the ball too long, or a million different things go into um, uh, an offense struggling to protect the the passer, and then 
the other thing that was happening here was they couldn't run either. I mean, it was the, the line was just getting blown up. And this was really like, I think it's getting specifics. It was, it was the right tackle position. Um, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. The right guard, Jermaine Effetti, played horribly. I mean, he was just completely dominated um, and physically dominated to where, you know, everyone talks about Effetti being this 330-pound or, you know, he's a big boy. Um, but he's getting pushed back. You know, he's getting physically, like, pan, you know, inverse pancaked by Gerald McCoy. Um, and then left tackle is just a zero. I mean, it was Noah Spence, who is a decent pass rusher. He is, you know, he'll be fortunate to be a, a seven or eight sack player most of his career. You know, he totally dominated um, George Fant. And, um, you know, I thought Glowinski and, and Hunt um, at left guard and center were okay. I don't think they <laughs> are going to hang the game up as a, as a keeper, but I didn't see any obvious um, real problems there. Uh, but Fant, I mean, of all the issues, that was the one that was most concerning because he was just getting beat to the outside. Spence was speed rushing around him, and he was just getting flat beat. And he's getting that happened multiple times. And um, <laughs> he's our left, left tackle at this point. So, um, you know, he had faced a much better pass rusher last week and guys like Brandon Graham and Connor Barwin and um, did better so I don't exactly know why he I mean, that's the one place where you hope maybe it's a learning issue he had a bump in the road and and the the word on the street is that he's been a very quick learner um, but the word on the street you know also is we've heard this you know a lot of things about the offensive line from the coaching staff that has not been true so um, you know, right tackle, let's talk about that. Gary Gilliam got three snaps and was pulled, and um, they brought in Bradley Sowell. I mean, the clear indication there is they want Bradley, they believe Bradley Sowell is the better player. They liked him at left tackle, even though a lot of people didn't, and they want to find a place for him, so they gave him a shot at right tackle, and Sowell has not played right tackle specifically, and I think that if you look at the tape, he didn't play very well in this game. I thought he gave up pressure. He looked like Bradley Sowell. So um, maybe he's better than Gilliam. Um, maybe. Uh, I'm not convinced of that. Um, you know, I I have some question about whether Riso Diambo is someone who should be getting a little bit more play and see what he has to offer, but... I think it would be unwise to, to start banging that drum too loudly because I watched Odiombo during the preseason and he was struggling in, in blocking pass protection as much as anybody, maybe more than most. And yes, he's, you know, he's made some strides and he looked fine against Philadelphia for a few snaps, but I wouldn't be fooled folks. I mean, if, if he's behind these guys, there's usually a decent reason for that. Um, so, you know, yeah, it was definitely concerning. It was it was the first game that, as far as I was concerned, you could squarely place on the offensive line. Um, yes, Russell was a little bit inaccurate. Yes, Russell maybe could have gotten rid of the ball a little bit earlier. Yes, the, the Darrell Bevel could have, you know, turned more to the read option after that started working. Those are all things that, you know, played some role. But it all, I mean, the offensive line was just atrocious. Um 
and uh, you can't function. You just can't function when that's the case. So, um, you know, the way I wrote about it this week um, in my morning after column was that sucked. Um, that was not a regression because they were never that bad. That was as bad as they've, you know, that was worse than they've been at any point during the season, um, even against the Rams. And not just in the fact that they, their, their performance, but the quality of the team they did it against. That is a mediocre defensive line. Gerald McCoy's really good, and that's it. No one else is really good. Um, no one else is even really good. I think there's some okay players on that Tampa Bay defensive line. And uh, the Seahawks made them look like uh, the purple people eaters out there. So that was really disheartening. But um, the upshot is we've seen them play better against better defensive lines. We've seen it multiple times. Um, and, you know, the Philadelphia game being the, 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 the clear indicator. And now we got to see how they – how they bounce back against a damn good defensive line that's coming to town with the Panthers. Um, that's a team that, despite all of their, despite all of their um, problems and losses, you know, um, they're number one in the NFL in yards per rush, uh, 3.3 yards per carry for opposing running backs. They're sixth in the NFL in sack rate, and I believe they're either tied or first in the NFL in sacks, total sacks. They get great pass rush. They've got Kawan Short, who ended our season almost single-handedly last year in the playoffs, um, just totally destroyed Justin Britt last year at left guard when he was playing there. Um, Star Latulale, another big interior um, defensive lineman. He's got four sacks this year. Um, Charles Johnson, who's a, a professional quality edge rusher. He's a, he's a vet. Um, you've got Coney Ealy, who was great in the Super Bowl last year against the Broncos and is another good end. You've got um, a little bit of a bonus in that Mario Addison, who leads their team uh, with six and a half sacks, is, is out or likely going to be out. Um, but don't mistake, I mean, the, the part of what the Bucks did is they were able to get pressure with just four players so they could essentially um, play, you know, play seven in in uh coverage and that's not great i mean the, the offensive line's got to do better i mean the seahawks sometimes we're keeping in extra players to block like six players to block four and they still couldn't <laughs> they still couldn't do it um that would be pretty disastrous if that would become a trend so um seahawks lines need to be able to hold up it's okay if they have to keep in six to block four um and do it effectively but you know if they do that they've got to be effective in in their blocking if it's if they can manage to to hold up with just five players on some occasion that would be great and the interesting thing here is going to be how they uh, approach the running game um you know you heard pete carroll mention that his woulda coulda shoulda in the bucks game was that he wished that they had actually stuck with the read option after it was clear that the Bucks weren't ready to defend that and they hadn't shown that they could. Russell was running for a large yardage every time he kept um, kept the ball on that play. And if they had really keyed off of that, there might have been some more yards to get. Actually, Thomas Rawls even was gaining some yards um, once they started doing that. So 
I have to admit I'm a little bit weary about bringing that back in this game. Um, the idea of Russell Wilson keeping it and having a linebacker like Thomas Davis light him up and, and <laughs> add Russell back to the injury report is not high on my list um, of possibilities. But it's going to be tempting for the coaching staff to, to add that back to the to the um, attack. And we'll see. I mean, at some point they've got to do that. Um, I would personally probably vote for next week against a, a weaker Packers defense. But in any event, that could show up. That would be interesting. If the if the Seahawks coaches decide to actually go for you know more standard run game, that's going to be tough. I mean, the the very very few teams this year have managed to run well against the Panthers front line. Even the Raiders last week, who you know are one of the NFL's best running teams, have a fantastic offensive line. They often bring in a sixth offensive lineman, go totally heavy and just bash people. Um, they were. I, think I want to say like 60 yards on the ground or something they did not gain very many yards rushing so um yeah I I think that if the Seahawks get too committed to trying to establish the running game um that would be a problem I think that's going to open them up in some ways uh and that's coming from somebody who really really prefers them to establish the running game and stick with it um, I, I think they do need to, to show it. I think they do need to be willing to have Thomas Rawls run up the middle and get two or three yards, and hopefully it's two or three and not zero or one. Um, but, And I think they do need to sprinkle in the read option. They absolutely do. I just would hate to see that become, you know, something that they feature this game as a, as a prominent piece to where Russell's getting exposed too much. But, you know, Russell's pretty good about protecting himself, and I tend to be a little bit of a nervous Nelly when it when it comes to those things so that'll be an interesting strategic decision that the Seahawks make the thing on this this Panthers defense that's um really important to to internalize is you know their pass defense is not good um they lost Josh Norman um they had franchised him last year and then they released him from the franchise tag and let him sign with the Redskins I don't think Norman was was as good as everyone says, and I don't necessarily think the Panthers made the wrong choice. I don't think he's a franchise-level corner, but he's a better corner than anyone they've got on the roster. That's just reality. Um, and they've got two rookies that are starters, and they're not terrible, but they're rookies, and they're not great either. Um, they also have uh, Robert McLean, who I actually was impressed with. He came in last year. They had all sorts of injury problems. Charles, Charles Tillman got hurt, and there's some other injuries. I think Benny, uh, Ben Wickery, uh, Ben Wickier, I can't remember how to pronounce his name, so apologies. But I think um, they both were injured, and so Robert McLean got signed off the street, and um, I really liked him. I mean, he was tough. He was sticky, um, You know, made some big hits, um, and played with them all the way through the, the – the Super Bowl, he's back this year. He's been playing nickel and hasn't been playing that well. He got a little bit hurt last week. I saw uh, Michael Crabtree, I think it was, catch a touchdown pass and land on McLean, and McLean looked like his shoulder. Uh, he was in a serious amount of pain, but he's supposedly going to play. I think their other slot nickel corner is Leonard Williams, or, or not Leonard Williams, Leonard Johnson maybe. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Anyway, point being, um, he's been – hurt a little bit so I'm not sure um, if he's gonna be able to make it um, and now they've got their their starting safety Kurt Coleman who 
played really well last year. Um, he is added to the concussion protocol this week and looking like he's going to miss the game. So you've got you've got a couple of you know you've got at least one injury there um, in Coleman, um, and then you've you've got a team that even without that injury was already um, 29th in the NFL in, in surrendering passing yards, 25th in the NFL in uh, yards per attempt surrendered to opposing quarterbacks, and 30th in the NFL in completion rate um, given to opponent uh, quarterbacks. So this is not a great secondary. Um, they are vulnerable. And if the Seahawks can just find some time, um, I think that that they can they can do some damage against this Panthers defense, um, but that's a big if. One of the things that was interesting this week with Daryl Bevel's press conference is he talked about, um, you know, someone had asked the question, why don't you get back to the, the quick passing game? And he looked a little perturbed by the question and basically was like, look, you know, you can do the quick passes, the dinks and dunks, and it puts a lot more pressure on your third down um, performance and the team, or you can go... And he didn't say this, but I think the unsaid thing was we haven't been that great on third down this year, so I don't think any strategy that depends on us executing on third down is, is great. And then there's the other one, which he said, you know, you can go first down, second down with bigger chunk plays, and he's he said that's the, better, the way he thinks is a better way to go, and I agree with him. Why does that have to be binary? Like, I don't understand, like, why you can't mix and match. Um, you've got both of those things in your arsenal now, um, when pass pressure is rearing its head as a problem, let's see the quick passing game start to to reemerge and use what you used at the end of last season to, to so much um, uh, success. Uh, there's no reason you can't do that and then mix in some deep deep throws as well. I mean, unless I'm missing something, which you know obviously could be. So I'd like to see them mix in a little bit of the quick passing. I'd expect them to do that. One of the things that other teams have done against the Panthers that's been effective is something that some teams have done against the Seahawks, which is uh, go to four wides or five wides and um, force the Panthers to take um, their third linebacker, Shaq Thompson, off the field. He's one of their better players, and um, by doing that, you then have to replace him with a much lesser player. They've got you know one of their weaker corners that would get pulled onto the field um, and, and that's what happened last week against Oakland. Uh, Shaq Thompson played, I think like 17 snaps or, you know, some really low number. He was barely on the field because Oakland just really forced, um, the Panthers into a personnel grouping that was not their best group of personnel, but it's what they had to do to match up. So I think the Seahawks could definitely, um, follow suit and do something like that. I did see that Paul Richardson got added to the injury report this week, um, uh, and we'll have to see if he plays. That could mean that a guy like Tanner McAvoy gets a few more snaps um, than he has been getting. Um, so we'll kind of see on, on that front. But, um, yeah, that, that that pass defense is a weakness for the Panthers um, and uh, something to, to take a look at. So I think um, – there's reason to at least be hopeful that uh, we get to see this Seahawks team against a quality, a quality defense um, in the Panthers, a quality front line. And 
fingers crossed, if the Seahawks can look competent, they don't have to look dominant, but can they look competent against this really good Panthers defensive line, then it's a little bit of a reaffirmation that, okay, they really blew it last week. They didn't come prepared. They underestimated their opponents, whatever it was. And, you know, that they've righted the ship. If they get completely blown apart again this week, um, you know, it's, it's not, it's not the end of the season by any stretch, but it really resets expectations about, okay, the last four weeks are going to be completely about, um, trying to get that offensive line in some sort of, um, reliable state. Um, you know, <laughs> that might be the, the reality no matter what happens to, uh, this weekend, but I think that's, that's the concern is, is you really don't want to put up back to back, um, terrible performances um, uh, against a, a good defensive line. Now, I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here. Um, you know, one of the things that's interesting about that topic is I brought this up last week with Softy that look at what has led to Seahawks team, the Seahawks team really being disrupted over the past couple of years. And um, if you look for what the, the common pattern is, it is a dominant defensive line. You know, a, a line with Aaron Donald and Robert Quinn and Michael Brockers, a line with um, Kawan Short and Charles Johnson and Starla Tulele, um, a line with, um, you know, Calais Campbell and Chandler Jones and, um, and others. So I, I think that that's going to be, um, you know, that's been the storyline for how to really um, beat up the Seahawks. Um and by the way, I hope, you know, I'm really looking forward to when that's not the story. Oh, God, that's just, uh, that's not who the Seahawks are meant to be. They're, they're supposed to be the, the bullies. But in any event, um, that's been the, the, the kind of MO. And if you look at who the Seahawks could face in the playoffs, no matter what their seed is, you've got number one seed is Dallas. Not a dominant defensive line, not a dominant defense, not even necessarily a great defense. Um, you've got a um, a Lions team who's got you know an aging Haloti Nada um, who's not dominant. Um, you've got Ezekiel Ansa who's a good edge rusher but not dominant. Um, you know it, it's not a dominant defensive line not to the level that we're talking about with these other teams um you've got the giants who the giants have some some names i don't think their defensive line statistically you know an evidence that i've seen against who they've played has been as disruptive as the lines we're talking about jpp and uh, olivia vernon uh, olivier vernon and some of the other guys in that line they're they're good players um and, and they definitely can be a handful but um it's that really that interior, you know, disruptor. That's the, the, the tends to be the bigger issue. The guys like, um, like Gerald McCoy, like Aaron Donald and Brockers, like, um, uh, like one short and Starla Tulele. So th those are the ones that really, and, and they don't have those guys, um, in New York. And then you go down and who else do we have? Um, uh, Atlanta, Atlanta certainly does not have a dominant defensive line. So you kind of like go down the list of these teams that you could end up facing and, and none of them have the key to beating the Seahawks. Um, 
if the Seahawks offense can operate and um, get some time and feel some level of comfort, Seahawks are really, really tough to beat because then they're a very complete team. They, they score, um, they can score in the upper twenties, lower thirties without, uh, with, with some pretty decent regularity and their defense is their defense. Um, their special teams is, is not bad either. So, um, that's one of the things I kind of would, would offer as, as a, uh, soothing, um, thought is even if this remains a, a an issue throughout, you know, the rest of the year, I'm not sure there's a team that they're going to face that's got that dominant defensive line, even up until the Super Bowl. Um, the Patriots certainly don't have it. We saw that already, and we've seen this team put up plenty of points against them um, on the road. Um, the Raiders don't have it. I mean, Khalil Mack certainly is dominant, but they don't have the interior dominant players that, that these other lines do. The Broncos do do to a certain extent um uh definitely a little bit more than some of these other teams but um i don't think we're gonna see the broncos in the super bowl um so anyway i could kind of go on but you get my point so i think that's a, a a worthwhile reality to keep in mind that doesn't mean that you know you don't want to you don't want to prove it doesn't mean that you don't want to get um, validation that your line can hold up, even if you face one of those lines. Um, so that's what that's what you have an opportunity to do this week is is get a little more confidence there. Um, look for Doug Baldwin to have um, a big day, assuming that it can do a little bit of of pass protection. Uh, the the Panthers nickel corner situation um, has just been a problem all all season. Um, Jimmy Graham also had one of, I think his biggest game as a Seahawk last year against the Panthers. And that's when they had Luke Keekley playing. Luke Keekley will not be in this game most likely. And, um, AJ Klein, I think is a great, great linebacker. Actually. I think he's a starting quality linebacker for any team that doesn't have Luke Keekley or, or Bobby Wagner or something like that. Um, so he's not a huge drop off from, from Keekley, but he's definitely Keekley is one of the best players in, in the game. So um, anyway, they had him last year. Jimmy Graham still played well. Um, we'll see how Graham goes um, this week. Uh, the other thing that's going to be a little bit interesting is I think the forecast is calling for potential snow late, definitely rain, snow um, into the evening. So it's probably going to be pretty chilly and it's going to be pretty wet. Um, I'm curious to see how that affects the game. Um, I would argue that probably helps the Panthers more than it helps the Seahawks in that, um, you know, if they can keep this close and kind of muck, you know, make it an ugly game, um, the Seahawks are the one that have, I think, a little bit of a, a more complete offense. Um, uh, but I think the the key here is going to be offensive line play for both teams. And for once... <laughs> The Seahawks have reason uh, to believe they're facing a an offensive line that has more problems than theirs, and um, uh, the Panthers actually, you know, they 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 give up more sacks, uh, higher sack rate than than the Seahawks. They're twenty first in the NFL in that number, and that's before they suffered all these injuries. You know, just to go through it really quickly, they lost their left tackle, Mike Orr. That's the guy from the Blind Side story. Um, he's out for the year with a. Um, uh, concussion 
Um, they lost their starting center, Ryan Khalil, who's their, their best player on the line. Um, they lost their backup center, Gino Gradkowski. He's gone. Um, they lost their right tackle last week, um, who I, I'm not sure if he was already a backup, but he, he absolutely was not a great player. So they then had to shift their left or their right guard out to right tackle. Trey Turner was playing right tackle. Um, so they've got, They've got some misfit parts out there, you know, at left tackle, at center, at right guard. Um, there's some problems there, and and they already, even with guys healthy, we're, we're having trouble protecting Cam Newton. Cam Newton tends to hold on to the ball a long time. Um, he makes some terrible decisions with where he throws the ball. This is a team that turns the ball over a lot, um, 29th in the NFL in giveaways. Um and 29th in the NFL in, in interception rate. So there's going to be some plays to make if the Panthers choose to throw the ball. And, uh, you know, the Seahawks are, God, man, they they should be getting back Michael Bennett, Mike Morgan. Um, they should be getting back Deshaun Shedd, maybe Earl Thomas as well. Um, I almost want them to hold Earl Thomas out another week. I know that that's, that might sound like blasphemy, but he, Earl is so important, and it sounds like he's been a little bit behind Deshaun Shedd in readiness. You know, and if this is going to be a cold, wet, or snowy game where there could be slipping and sliding, I am all for protecting Earl Thomas's hamstring and and making sure he's ready to go for what we all hope is you know, uh, what would it be? You know, the next eight weeks after this into the Super Bowl. So, um. I think uh, in any event, he might be back, but just getting Michael Bennett back would be huge. I really personally, I would love to see DeMontre Moore, who's also been hurt, if he can get back. Um, uh, trying to see really quickly if if uh, he actually practiced yesterday. Give me one second. Seahawks injuries. Um, DeMontre Moore... Full practice yesterday. Awesome. So I've been dying to see some way that you could get DeMontre Moore and Michael Bennett on the field at the same time. I just think that would be an awesome um, combination. I think they're so disruptive. And seeing those guys against (laughs) an offensive line that is is really trying to figure out what they're doing in Carolina, I think could be a lot of fun. Um, And look, you know, I have been outspoken in my feelings about Cam Newton. I, I don't like, I don't like the guy as a, as a, as a professional athlete. Um, I can't say I don't like him as a person because I don't really know him, but everything about the way he conducts himself uh, rubs me the wrong way. I famously or infamously tweeted last year at one point, um, you know, Cam Newton gets all the publicity. Um, but Luke Keekley is really a guy on that team that, um, I think deserves, you know, more publicity and conducts himself like a professional and Bamani Jones, who works at ESPN, you know, quoted it and, uh, basically implied that I was a racist. <laughs> Just like, what the hell? Uh, I would say the same. I, I feel the same way I feel about Cam Newton as I feel again about a guy like Julian Edelman. Um, you know, he gets up after every catch he makes, you know, signals, you know, yells at his, the, the guy's face that he just was playing 
he was just arrogant and um I just don't like the way he conducts himself. Uh, it has nothing to do <laughs> with, with the color of his skin, but um, I don't know why you're required to like Cam Newton um, or be a racist. I don't like I don't like the way he makes it about himself. I don't like the way that he um, uh, essentially loves celebrating, but is not the leader that's there when things go wrong. And I, there was a crappy article by Matt Calkins today in the Seattle Times. And I, honestly, Matt, um, if you're listening, enough with the contrarian. Like, I, I get that you're you're new to the area and you're trying to establish that you can be an independent voice. And I actually applaud that. But it seems like every week you're trying to pick an opportunity to um, to kind of pick a wound or, or provoke uh, a reaction instead of just writing, you know, a what is a defendable point of view. Um, Cam Newton was not, if you think that Cam Newton after the Super Bowl, basically I'll fill everyone else in. Matt basically wrote uh, in the Times this morning that um, Richard Sherman's comment about karma was not about, shouldn't have been about um, Cam crumpling up the, the 12th flag in Carolina last year after the they beat the Seahawks. It should have been about how Cam Newton responded after the Super Bowl in the press conference. I was like, did you see Cam Newton in the previous few years? That was not new. That was just simply something with someone paying attention. So shame on you if that's the first time you notice Cam Newton is a sore loser. And I think that's actually a really, <laughs> a really uh, uh, forgiving. Um, that's a. I can't think of the word right now, but uh, it's a flattering dis- depiction to call him a sore loser. I think he's, I think he's a douche. I mean, that's that's my point of view. I think he's a he's the kind of guy that um, is happy to make sure everyone knows about him and that he is in the spotlight when things are going well. And he shrinks, he shrinks and shrivels when things go wrong, and. I don't like guys like that. I don't like people like that around me. I don't like, definitely don't like people like that on my team um, that I root for. That's one of the things that we have in spades with the Seahawks is these guys, when it gets tough, when there's adversity, there's no team in the NFL that shines more than the Seahawks. None. And that's because they've been through it their whole life. They've all come up from nothing, or a lot of them have. A lot of these guys, more than almost any other team, undrafted free agents um, were underestimated coming into college, underestimated coming into the pros, and were not dominant when they first joined the league. Like the Seahawks lost the first couple of years. You know, they're seven and nine, um, you know, for a while, and they had some really ugly losses. But guess what? They built this together. They've gone through that adversity. Um, when the going gets tough now, they get tougher. And they come through. Cam Newton's the opposite. Um, he shrinks. And you know, one thing I will give him is last season I was impressed when when they were down late in games, he did lead comebacks, and that's an indicator of someone who does rise to the moment. And I think he hadn't shown that previously. He'd always made the the losing play um, in those moments, but last year he didn't. Um, so good for him on that. It's definitely, and he deserved the MVP, no doubt. I don't, I don't question that. I respect the, 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 the season he had. 
but this is who he is as a person. I mean, he, you know, or <laughs> I have to figure out a different way to word that because I don't really know him, but this is how he is as a professional. Um, and, uh, so, you know, getting back to Matt Calkins, I would just say like, pay attention, Matt. Um, he's been like that the whole time and, you know, crumpling up a 12 flag is just the latest, uh, indication, you know, it was just another indication of how he is. He's a front runner and, and, uh, doesn't, doesn't lose well and doesn't handle adversity well. So, um, so, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing, and the reason I went on that whole long rant is um, I really want to see Demontre Moore and Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill and, and Frank Clark just combine to harass Cam Newton. I want to see them light him up. Um, I'm not cheering for him to get injured, but I sure am cheering for him to get the shit <laughs> knocked out of him. I want to see, I want to see him get hit and I want to see him with a towel over his head and sulking and, um, the Seahawks, uh, putting him back in a, in a losing frame of mind. So, um, that said, I, I think, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be on the defense to, to, to kind of set the, set the, the, um, to set the tone. Sorry. Um, mine's drifting, but yeah, set the tone and I think they have all the, the guys to do it. And then on offense, um, it'd be interesting to see how Thomas Rawls, this could be a game that they feature him a little bit more. And Tremaine, Tremaine Pope was back at full practice yesterday. That's a good sign. He could be available. And as a backup, we'll see how he enters into this, um, and, and kind of go from there. Um, I think that the team should be better this week. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that was a pretty disheartening uh, performance last week. So um, it's going to take seeing them do it to really know that they've they've got the ship righted. Uh, last thing I'll, I'll touch on before I, I go. Um, the Cowboys, 11-1, having a fantastic season, deserve the praise that they're getting as far as just playing really well and, um, you know, best record around what I will throw out there though is um you know if, if anyone watched them play the Vikings last night the Vikings that was the first time I think the Cowboys played a legitimately great defense this year you could argue they played a great defense in the Eagles before I think the Eagles defense um had them um dead to rights for a lot of that game and then and then give Dallas credit. They, they found a way to battle back. Um, but the Vikings really bottled them up. And if you can slow down Ezekiel Elliott and force the Cowboys to be a, um, a passing team and rely on Dak Prescott, who is playing wonderful football. He's a great rookie quarterback. I think he's a great player, but I think that there's a lot of praise going his way that is, misguided um and what i mean by that is he's not ready to shoulder the burden uh, you know if dak prescott has to do it on his own um he doesn't have ezekiel elliott going for 150 yards um he's gonna struggle i mean this is a team that had 124 yards passing last night against the vikings 5.9 yards per pass 
what he does really well is he doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He doesn't throw it into double coverage and, and take a lot of interceptions. But um, the Vikings made that offense look really beatable. And what we've seen in, in past history is great offenses, when they come up against a great defense, look pretty dang ordinary. It's not usually the other way around. It's very rare that a great offense just blows out a great defense. You just don't see that. Um, and then on the flip side, you've got a, a Cowboys defense who isn't that great. They're just not that great. They tend to hold teams down in points, but um, they give up a lot of yards. They give up uh, sterling passer rating. Um, they don't get to the quarterback that much, um, and they just happen to be facing – really flawed offenses. I mean, when they faced a good defense in the in the Eagles, they faced a flawed offense in in the Eagles. When they faced a good defense in the Vikings, they faced a terrible offense in the Vikings. And yet, the Vikings should have won that game if, you know, they didn't fumble a punt at the 6-yard line and allow Dallas to get the winning touchdown. Um, you could argue they shouldn't have lost even with that because, you know, there was the two-point conversion at the end where where Bradford got hit in the face and it wasn't called. But the storyline, the narrative is going to continue to be the Cowboys are unbeatable. Let it be that. Um, but know, know the reality is the Cowboys are very beatable. Um, I don't think that they are an easy win. I think the Seahawks having to go there you know, for a championship game would not be something I'd say, oh, this is going to be a given. Um, we've seen that Cowboys offensive line cause problems for the Seahawks defensive line. Um, so, you know, if the, if the Cowboys are able to blow up in holes there, that would be a problem. Um, you know, but the Seahawks are a better team. They're absolutely a better team. Um, the Cowboys just, what I would say have, um, <laughs> my friends are giving me crap, but they have the best strength the, the, in the NFL. Their strength of their team is their offensive line and their running game. And I don't think there's a better unit um, in the NFL than that. I think that is the the strongest strength, as I put it, and uh, they thought that was crazy, but hopefully you understand what I'm getting at. Um, so I think that's legitimate. If you can dull that strength, um, then I think that, that they're certainly not the most complete team. Um, and that, that, that award goes to the Seahawks. So uh, anyway, just wanted to offer a couple thoughts on that because I know the Cowboys are getting all sorts of pub and the Seahawks will be getting all sorts of shade um, from the, the Bucks game. And, um, we'll see, there's nothing that's happened in the last two weeks that makes me think any differently about the Seahawks chances of, of winning the Super Bowl. I think this is a fantastic, the year is set up really well for them to do that, assuming that they can figure out how to, to write the ship on the offensive line. So, all right, folks, this is longer than I even intended. I hope, uh, you're all doing well and, um, thanks for tuning in as always go Hawks.